you can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life be real welcome one and all to a movie reviewing reappraising podcast it's be real this is a single movie episode about the 1994 film The Santa Claus. My name's Chance Solem Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. Noah, we're here hot on the heels of our second 2020 holiday watch party. Big shouts to everybody who, who came out to watch The Santa Claus. You poor bastards. <laughs> We've swindled you into making our content, quote-unquote, job fun. <laughs> Indeed, I well, I in in fairness, I, I didn't remember this movie at all. I think I'd seen it like as a kid, um, but I, I didn't quite remember what it was. And then was of course misled by the six point five on IMDb. It's your own fault for putting any stock in IMDb ratings. Yeah, you're right. The its legacy is curious because. The first thing I want to shout out about the Santa Claus is it was the fourth highest grossing American movie of 1994. It made more money than films like Mrs. Doubtfire, than Schindler's List, than Dumb and Dumber, than Pulp Fiction. The The only films that made more money were, uh, what were they? Lion King, Gump, and True Lies. Like, this is a bonanza Interesting. of a movie. Interesting that it was the more popular of the two movies that hang on lists. That's right. <laughs> it's always making lists. Always um, making lists. We should say, too, that we put a social media heat together where uh, the Santa Claus beat out both Die Hard and Home Alone 2 to be watched right. on the watch party. So... People were curious. Yeah, blame those faithless electors who have uh, rose-colored <laughs> childhood glasses on for the Santa Claus. And what we found is a very unsteady movie that's <laughs> pretty that's simple. A good way to describe it, but doesn't make any sense. It was the night before Christmas, and children were dreaming of the presents Santa would bring. Somebody's on the roof. But this Christmas Eve... Hey, you! The unthinkable happened. You killed him! Did not. Now, this night... If something should happen to me, put on my suit, the reindeer will know what to do. It's up to them... Let's go! ...to save the day. Together, Scott Kelvin and his son Charlie take on the biggest job in the world. Looking good, Dad. And though it has its dangers, nice teeth. He thought it was just for one night. You're the new Santa. I am not Santa Claus. Ah, you put on the suit. You're the big guy. What if I don't buy into this Santa Claus thing? Well, let's start before we talk about this movie. You understood from the jump that the title, The Santa Claus, is a pun, right? I didn't. You didn't either. No. The whole movie hangs upon <laughs> this quote-unquote contractual precedent known as yeah. The Santa Claus, in which if you kill by choice or by accident, 
this if you kill Santa Claus, the the clause is that you then become Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Which is a very adult joke for a movie that feels like it should be kind of darker and spicier, like more of a bad Santa kind of humor, not PG Disney. How can we make those Home Alone bucks? For sure, and I would argue that the first ten minutes of this movie establishing the the titular clause and then also tim allen's character and his divorce and the new guy that she's with judge reinhold incredible uh and then like the tenuous relationship uh that scott the tim allen character has um with his son charlie eric lloyd uh it's it's pretty adult i would say but then when the movie really like gets into the conceit of, you know, if you kill Santa Claus, you become Santa Claus. It totally dis- like, dis- uh, dismisses this for mm-hmm. one of the most, you know, banal children's movies that I, I think I've ever come across. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the opposite of that Pixar perfect blending of adult and child humor. It's right. like one, one minute... We're talking about how psychiatrists aren't doctors and the next minute reindeer are farting. Right. Yeah. And it, it also has these weird goals that it needs to, or like loose ends that it needs to tie up. And it even does those with like the goofiest kind of like, I don't know, child logic about divorce and custody stuff. You know, there's yeah. like this really bizarre scene where Charlie goes into like an office from an actor who's a judge, but he looks like the senior senator judge from Reinhold? Wisconsin. No, not that judge. Oh, the guy looks like Ron Johnson. Yeah, um, yeah, I got you. Who's just like, you're never going to see your dad again. He's crazy. Okay. So let's step back for a second, please. And give just a hair of context. So this comes at the height of home improvement. So <laughs> they're, they're really trying to make Tim Allen a star. It's a year before Toy Story. Um, John Pasquin is the director who, to that point, had only directed some episodes of Home Improvement, but then Whoa. went on to direct, hey, went on to direct Jungle to Jungle and Miss Congeniality 2. It's written <laughs> by <laughs> Leo Benvenuti and Steve Rudnick, who had long careers as uh, comedy television writers, and then after, on the heat of the Santa Claus went on to write the script for Space Jam, a movie that does not have a script. Um, well, it's sort of interesting because it is this movie isn't that like liar liar kids movie where like the dad commits some sin that the kid then punishes him for using the supernatural um, angels in the outfield. But anyway, Tim Allen's like a douchey corporate toy salesman guy. And he like very quickly, and it's very similar to, um, oh, the other one was Jingle All the Way. It's similar to the setup to that movie too, where like the dad misses the important thing early on and then like is forever punished for that. Um, Punished with Christmas. Punished by Christmas. Yeah. Um, So he's like with his son in his like shared wall townhouse. Uh, and he's like, ah, oh, Christmas is horseshit. Uh, I tried to make this turkey, but I burnt it. Oh, I'm going to take you to Denny's instead because everything else is closed. Uh, I'm going to kind of half-assed read you this children's book, a night before uh, the night before Christmas. Twas the night before Christmas. Um, mm-hmm. And then, as he's wont to do on Christmas Eve, uh, Chris Kringle shows up. He's on the roof. 
he doesn't seem to be that great of a Santa Claus because he wakes up everyone in the house, uh, which then, so Tim Allen goes outside to see like what's on the roof, startles Santa Claus, kills him. And then of course the premise of this movie takes over where, you know, Oh, he put on the outfit. Oh, he, there's the reindeer. Oh, they're in the sleigh. And then we're kind of off to the races in like, Oh, that's, that's just how it is now. And then of course, you know, we go, we go to the North pole you know, I don't know where you want me to stop here. I want to talk about the scene where Santa falls off the roof because I think it's weirdly one of the most interesting of the movie because they have to do it so, so fast right. or else the movie is too dark. Yeah, the movie is the, it's the movie that has the scene where Santa Claus breaks his fucking neck in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> But it's funny, though, because I feel like that's actually where the the commercial aims of the movie undercut the story, because like that has to be an important scene. Right. You if, if you just have it be a total accident like it is, it doesn't hook into Scott Calvin's character at all. You don't get any of the like horror or wonder or mystery of like what the hell happened here when the actual Santa died? Like every part of storytelling logic is stretch out and explore and make that scene important, but the movie can't do it. It no. has to blast past it in such a hurry. Well, there's also an interesting shot too, when you kind of see like dead Santa's hand move a little bit, which yes. led me to believe that like Santa's dying slowly and painfully here. And if he was given some medical care, maybe he'd be fine, but he's left to die on Scott's lawn. And then he evaporates like he's fucking Gandalf the gray. Yeah. Let me give the movie this though. Cause once they get to the roof and they're interacting with the reindeer, I love that it's 1994 and they're like real reindeer puppets and they're not digital, you know, wild fox at the end of wilds. Yeah. Digital Christmas Carol stuff. Oh yeah. These are actually like fuzzy, like Jurassic park, uh, (laughs) reindeer. I just like the place that we're in, in like nineties film appreciation where we say real reindeer puppets. (laughs) That's what they are. (laughs) But I know. Yeah. Of course know what you mean. Um, yeah, the technology in this movie is very funny because, yeah, you have like those animatronic children's museum kind of technology on the one hand. <laughs> and then the when like Tim Allen's going down chimneys, it looks like the movie Spawn. I think it was Brent who said it was like Windows 95 screensaver <laughs> shit where it's just you're just losing. There's like not a matte line on anything. It's just like the entire screen becomes this sort of cheaply it's... hypnotic twist. What do you think of the North Pole? It does kind of look like uh, Willy Wonka's Playland via like a regional theater company. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's very odd. And there are some like weird like background shots of like North Pole City out the window. And at one point, like a little digital biplane flies by. And then like... They don't quite know what to do with the the fact that they've cast children as all the elves. The children being elves creates confusion around how much of an asshole Scott Calvin's supposed to be, too. Right. Um, because, because they're the same th- age as his kid, who's just a kid and not an elf. And he, like, f- you know... I guess you could probably say he flirts openly with Judy. Yeah, who that is nine-year-old a elf. Human, yeah. 
who at one point has to say, I'm actually seeing someone in rapping. Yeah. But it's okay, because she's 800 years old. I mean... But it's still adult Tim Allen flirting with a yeah, child. Yeah, it's, it's still convicted drug trafficker Tim Allen sitting next to a nine-year-old girl. Being like, you look good for your age. It's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. But, okay, I gotta stop here, though. Because what? what doesn't make sense to me at the heart of this movie is the fact <laughs> that you have, like, an Ebenezer Scrooge, Tim Allen corporate sellout guy who then after some mild resistance to like putting on big clothes, he like doesn't <laughs> seem that like, Oh my God, my, my perception about everything was wrong. Like Santa Claus is real, you know, and the North right. pole's real. Like there's really none of that. He like treats it as though it's any other sort of thing in his life. The movie has no way of showing internal conflict and i know that's kind of like a sort of thinky stupid way to look at this but like you think about even a movie like home alone is elevated because you have scenes of macaulay culkin talking to himself about his own predicament and this movie either because tim allen doesn't want to do it or the film doesn't believe that tim allen can do it you just never get a scene of him by himself or in an earnest conversation where he's like trying to figure his shit out he doesn't have that scrooge moment and it makes the movie insane i would argue the movie when it has those tim allen alone moments instead of doing like the home alone of like you know i washed all my crevices with soap and i really enjoyed it he like it becomes almost like the fly or something where it's like (laughs) body horror you know and he's becoming very obese like very quickly and his like beard won't shaved down and like his hair is turning white and like for some reason all of his clothes are like either gray green or red and yeah it's such a bizarre kind of thing which has nothing to do with like you know the the christmas idea of like oh you have to be a kid again and like believe in the things that kids believe it's really just like i don't know like weird body horror tropes that by the 2020 smell test, as several of our our uh, co-watchers pointed out, it like is pretty offensive. Yeah, it's just fat phobic. Um, yeah, well, yeah, because there's that scene where he goes, he he can't fit into his clothes, but he goes to the office at the the. There really should have been, I think, more company stuff in this movie. There's really only um, the like one and a half scenes of it. Yeah, but he goes there, and Peter Boyle's his boss for three and a half minutes and this guy makes this presentation and they're all people in the room are literally gasping. They're like, Scott, you look at that fat piece of shit. (laughs) He's put on 20 pounds. I know he's up to one ninety. The problem is that, at this point, Scott Calvin has lost his mind. He's gone through a full <laughs> internal character transformation, but the only thing the movie is concerned about is that he's put on weight. Right. And no no concern for like why he's ordering hot fudge sundaes on the company right. dollar. It's why unclear. he cares about Santa so much. Right. At some point, he has become some version of the Santa Claus imagined by a movie like Miracle on 34th Street or something. But there's no scene in which he, like, not only accepts it but embraces it. 
exists between the body horror and then him being like, I'll have 300 hot fudge sundaes, please, with a warm glass of milk. (laughs) We should say, too, that this movie is so filled with lactose that it's, it's bursting at the seams with milk. Paired with Home Alone, we're just going all in on Illinois milk and cops yet again. In Absolutely. The There's a ton of it. And he is, I think he actually out imbibes Kevin McAllister. Well, Kevin doesn't get to drink any of that milk. You know, the poured milk to consumed milk ratio uh, is closer to one to one here, I would say. This is why. Though I don't think that Charlie drinks the milk in the opening Christmas Eve dinner scene because, of course, the turkey gets burned and they end up eating at Denny's. But he does order a glass of chocolate milk there, which he most likely consumes. (laughs) They're out of chocolate milk, remember? Um, Oh, fuck. So he doesn't get to drink the chocolate milk. So many people have ordered it that they're out. I, I just want to say, because I feel like I've been very hard on Tim Allen, there are a couple moments where he like legitimately does make me laugh, in, but it, it just has nothing to do with his character. Like when he gets back from the first Christmas and he's just in the red pajamas and his wife's like, nice pajamas, asshole. <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> I don't normally wear pajamas. I sleep naked, buck naked. And the a woman and her daughter walk by and he just goes, morning, Mrs. McGloin, Mary Catherine. It's like a very funny Irish Catholic names and very funnily delivered. Like he, I, I get that he has a people like watching him on screen for 180 episodes capability. Yeah. Um, it just, the character is nothing. Let's talk about Charlie's mother and stepfather played by Wendy Crewson and judge Reinhold. What do you think about them? Perhaps the portrayal of psychiatrists. That I think is the weirdest running joke in this movie (laughs) is that anytime Tim Allen interacts with judge Reinhold, he claims that his medical degree in psychiatry is not legitimate. Psychiatrists are medical doctors. Right. Yeah. He like went to medical school and became a psychiatrist. It's not like he's a psychologist and he's belittling like the doctorate. He's not like Jill Bidening this thing. He he literally is a medical doctor who also has that training as well. But for some Margata reason. Margata and I had a race to see who could make the did this movie write the Wall Street Journal Jill Biden column. And I. Oh, this movie loves that column. Yeah, Judge Reinhold is a hysterical actor to me, though. Just right. he's one of those people who I can never tell if he's in on the joke of the line. And I, I think he his turn on Arrested Development makes me think that he is. But just like every line that he delivers, whether he's like in Charlie's face, being like Charlie, Santa isn't real. It's hysterical. Right. Um, the line at I the think, end, yeah. you've seduced us. Into your delusions. Like right. he's just going for it so much in those sweaters. I love that monologue he has where he reveals that the reason he stopped believing in Santa Claus is because he didn't get his weenie whistle at fucking three years old. And that was when he dismissed the whole notion of Santa Claus. Um, Tell the people what course, a weenie whistle is. I, I, I don't, isn't it like just, it looked like the little like Oscar Mayer wiener and it's, it, it's a whistle. Yeah. Very odd. I wonder that so that's the kind of shit that makes me wonder if like Disney had some sort of like joint stock venture. Yeah. With, because the, the what is he says at one point there's the 
rather glaring line where Scott jokes that the reindeer work as a cable antenna and now they get Disney Channel. And then I had to look up when he gets the Christmas list in alphabetical order and he looks and it says, Armand Asante. I was like, was he under contract with Disney at the time? And he was, was just about to release Judge Dredd. Uh, That's incredible. Yeah. But I don't know. This movie is very strange because of how little Santa Claus there is. Like the hot yeah. take that Gunter had was that this is not a Christmas movie. <laughs> and I like I'm tempted to go there because frankly like a lot of it like of course Christmas is part of it, but really like the major scenes in this movie that are turning points for the characters take place in like the spring and fall after or leading up to Christmas. I love this. It's the reverse side of sort of the incessant, like, is this action movie like Die Hard a Christmas movie? What is a, What do we consider a completely topical Christmas movie that actually doesn't have much to do with Christmas? Could be this one. I feel like it kind of shoots itself in the foot a little bit too with the, the Santa logic. Um, Cade pointed out, early on both like how often has this happened is santa replace does santa die and get replaced every year are we talking like centuries in between and then also kind of wondering like, earlier santa, that night santa <laughs> this santa doesn't have much to do with christmas the machinery of christmas basically happens around this figure and that also robs tim allen of like stuff to do like again nobody comes calling on him until the next November. The the Reinhold character like being that like adult force in the movie, but really never having like like shouldn't Tim Allen be the one who like doesn't quite believe in yes. it's almost like you have two male characters there who like only have one character between the two of them. It's a good point. You know? And I mean don't get me started on the on the mom. Uh because she has like very little character other than just like this low simmering horniness for well first for it like an intellectual psychiatrist she was like into fraser for a little while and then she like pivots back to home improvement uh, as he yeah, gets Santa. rounder and more full of jelly she gets into it um god and at the end there where she's like you are santa claus <laughs> Pointed out though some good fits on Wendy Crewson, some like the the oh, haircut. Her mom jeans and her incredible haircut. Uh, highlight of this movie, I would say. Let's tell people how we rate movies on Be Real, and then we'll rate the Santa Claus. On Be Real, we rate movies in two categories: a good or bad for technical quality, and a good or bad for watchability. So, what are the four possible ratings? I don't care. Good, good movies are both well-made and highly entertaining. The Fugitive, Parasite, Rear Window, or The Hunt for Red October. Once more, we play our dangerous game. Good, bad movies are often impressive technically, but also tough sits. Historical melodramas like The Mission, horror movies too scary or gross to rewatch, or self-serious musicals like Yentl. Papa, can you hear me? Conversely, bad good movies are highly flawed but still gratifying. Nonsensical hangouts like Hot Tub Time Machine or ludicrously fun action fare like Twister or Stargate. Give my regards to King Todd, asshole. 
bad, bad movies are neither well-made nor entertaining. Examples we've covered unfortunately include Garden State, Fifty Shades of Grey, and Attack of the Clones. I'm deeply sorry, Master. Got all that? Time for a rating. So people in the chat, by the way, were like, bad, bad across the board. Oh, sure. What makes it not watchable? I think just like how tone deaf it is on like a lot of identity issues and just like the fact that it doesn't make a ton of sense. Like if you really look at it the way like you and I and our cohort tend to do like a movie like home alone, like almost has a weird level of layers that it doesn't need, you know, almost for people like us. But this one, like, if you poke at it, like it just falls apart. Like it doesn't have like an internal logic to it. Um, especially with how large the conceit is that like make it that fun to, I mean, it was fun to make fun of it once, but it's not going to be like, like I do home alone again tomorrow if you wanted me to. Uh, but I don't know that this one like has the, the depth, uh, or the rewatch value either. I mean, some people commented on it in the chat, but even the climax of the movie where, you know, like the, the whole point of the movie is the son and the father reconnecting. And there's like a scene where he's like, goodbye, Charlie. Like, I'll see you after Christmas. <laughs> and like all the townspeople go back into their homes and like the, SWAT the cops. Team goes back. Yeah, the SWAT team goes back to like, I don't know, like uh, kettling protesters in some other urban area. And then like he the son is still standing on the, the porch and he like was like, dad, Santa. And then like. <laughs> Tim Allen like comes back and like they have the same scene without the people watching again. And then the movie's over. It's very confusing too, because you get the shot through the snow globe and then the zoom out back to Charlie that makes you feel like, okay, so it's a year later or this was all in Charlie's mind or the elves have been watching and it's just the same porch 10 minutes later. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. And it doesn't have that moment where like you brought it up when we talked about home alone, the idea of like Kevin and whether or not he's going to forgive his mother uh, when she shows up back at the house. This movie doesn't have that. And I think it desperately needs it, especially considering, you know, the bigger sort of karmic question here is like, does the son get over the divorce of his parents? It's not a movie that I need to have metaphorical depth, but I, I think you're right. I think it lacks basic creative minutia um like in comparing it to something like monsters inc or home alone like half the fun of that is just like imagining what a kid could do with a vhs tape and sound effects or like what does this gift mean to this kid or like what are the rules of elves like it's pretty basic screenwriting shit to attempt to be a couple layers of creative there and the fact that he like goes to the houses and he's just like little girl do you want this basic ass raggedy Ann doll or not it's like why is she getting a raggedy Ann doll what do you believe about your toy company what kind of toys are cool it just doesn't have anything yeah there's also like a version of this movie that's more like big where he like takes what he learns from being santa to be a better toy executive with more like less focused on the military industrial complex and more focused on like what actually is magical to children but again, this movie doesn't go for that, uh, and it seems like a missed opportunity. Uh, so without like further pomp and circumstance, I think it's 
an unquestionable bad bad. I had fun watching it as I think it will be fun to do all of the continue to do all of these watch parties. But yeah, you're right. It's not, if you were like chance, would you put it on again next week? I think, I think definitely not. Thanks to all the watch partiers. You're a joy and a half. We appreciate it. And, uh, believe we'll have more coming very shortly. Folks are, Breakout Directors of 2020 episode where we'll talk about um, a lot of cool and interesting like independent movies that uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about in this bizarre year for films. Bad so Boys 3. Keep an eye out. Noah. Sir? Happy holidays to you, my friend. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm always thankful for our friendship and our podcast to get us through what is, again, a trying holiday season. Christmas.